Hi, everybody, and welcome to Seek Learning. I'm Casey Polygryphus. I'm a professor at BYU, and I'm your host. Now, the first school I taught at was one of the wealthiest schools in the state. I remember coming back after Christmas break, asking the kids what they did for their vacation, and hearing answers like, I went to Switzerland, or we went skiing in Aspen. Most of my students lived in gated communities and held lavish pool parties at their houses. When one of my female students was asked to prom, her date told her that the day activity they were going to do was to go to Disneyland. His plan was to fly to California early in the morning, spend all day in the Magic Kingdom, and then fly home in time to get ready for the dance. Uh, when other schools criticized our students for being the rich school, there was even a response in the school newspaper. And the argument given in the newspaper was that they weren't a rich school. As evidence, there were only 12 new BMWs in the parking lot. And this was said without a trace of irony. Now, I loved the students at that first school, but eventually the time came for me to move on. And I went to a different high school. This school was only a few miles away from my first school, but the contrast was stark. The students came from a number of different backgrounds. Some of them were children of immigrant parents who struggled to teach English. Some of them shared worries about having their home foreclosed on and having to move. Almost all of them had jobs where they worked to save up for college or missions. And most of them worried if they would be able to afford those things. Among this group, there were no Swiss vacations or lavish pool parties. I loved my students at both schools, and I learned a lot from both groups. As a teacher, it's sometimes difficult not to get wrapped up in your students and their challenges, but it can be frustrating to see the inequality in their circumstances. We might not be able to change the circumstances they live in, but we can create an equitable environment in the classroom. Our guest today, Brian Jensen, is going to give us some tips on how to create a more equitable classroom, and that's the subject of today's Seek Learning. In the lives of Latter-day Saints, education is central to their religion and its practice. For members of the church, education is not merely a good idea. It's a commandment. At the David O. McKay School of Education at Brigham Young University, scholars carry out different studies every year in the field of education. In this podcast, we speak with these scholars to find out what they discovered about education, and what does it mean for Latter-day Saints? How can these findings be applied in home and gospel settings? Finally, what inspired them to become an educator, and how has it affected their lives? Education is the difference between wishing you could help other people and being able to help them. This is the Seek Learning Podcast, presented by the BYU Latter-day Saint Educator Society. Dr. Bryant Jensen is an associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Brigham Young University. He teaches courses in learning theory, multicultural education, quantitative methods, education foundations, and design-based research. His research addresses improving classroom teaching and learning for underserved children and youth, particularly Latinx students from Mexican and Central American immigrant families. And previously, Bryant was a research associate for the National Task Force on Early Education for Hispanics, a Fulbright scholar in Mexico, a teacher educator in California's San Joaquin Valley, and a postdoc fellow at the University of Oregon. Bryant is also on the editorial board of five research journals, and his work has been funded by the United States Department of Education, Fulbright, the Mexican government, BYU, and a handful of foundations. 
Brian is a first-generation college graduate, and his superhuman spouse, Taryn, is raising five-spirited children with him in Provo. Bryant recently agreed to sit down with Joe Backman from the Seek Learning Team, and let's join their conversation. Well, Brian Jensen, we are so happy to have you here with us on the Seek Learning Podcast and really appreciate you taking time to uh, talk with us this morning. Uh, we're excited to hear more about your research on classroom talk and equitable classroom talk. Can you tell us a little bit about your research and why this is important? Yeah, thank you for having me. This is exciting. I'm glad we're doing this podcast. It's really important. Um, yeah, we've known for a long time in research, you know, for the last 40, 50 years, we've known that getting kids to talk with each other about ideas is important for their learning. You know, we do it with our kids at home. We ask questions. Um, we encourage them to ask questions. We have conversations about ideas. And that's how we learn. Um, but oftentimes, those conversations work best for the higher performers in classrooms and for kids, frankly, from more privileged backgrounds. And our work is trying to sort of find ways. Um, to make subtle shifts in classrooms so that those conversations can be more equitable is the word we use. Another word might be transformative, so that all kids have the, idea, the opportunity to learn about important ideas from conversations with the teacher and with their peers. We sure focus in the public schools and it, at home, like you said, uh, lots of communication happening. In math, we have mathematical discourse. In literacy, we have speaking and listening, and in every discipline, communication's a key point there. What are some of the pieces that you have found in your research that are really pertinent to equity yeah. with classroom talk? Great question. Thank you. I think a simple way to say it is that the conversations need to be more meaningful. Um, and by that, we mean more connected to students' daily lives, um, especially those lives that are often not reflected in the curriculum or lives that aren't reflected in the staff at the school. You know, um, in a lot of schools where equity is a big concern, there's a big demographic divide between the teachers and the students. So the classrooms need to be more connected. The conversations need to be more mindful of what students know, do, and identify with outside of school. They also need to be more communal is a word that we use um, so that there's less competition in classrooms. And that can be, you know, with regard to activities, but it can also be just subtle routines, like our kids vying for teachers' attention with their hand raised, com comparing and competing, rather than in a more communal classroom, listening to each other and uh, noticing uh, needs uh, that their peers have and volunteering support and building on one another's contributions. If we think about a conversation among more than two people, the most sort of interesting, compelling conversations are when we're able to build on one another's ideas. And knowing how to orchestrate that is actually not a simple task. It's really hard. As an educator, you're always making moves or decisions. And uh, we can be more equitable in terms of how we do that. So, you know, not having students vie for teachers' attention is one way classrooms can be more communal. Uh, encouraging students to respond to one another's ideas allowing unsolicited questions. These are all sort of things that teachers can do to have conversations that are more connected, more communal. Um, and we think of communal interactions in terms of, you know, um, interdependent relationships in the classroom. 
as well as um, supporting students' autonomy, their expression, their opportunity to, to lead a conversation, to have a responsibility in the discussion. These are things that we can do to make conversations more equitable. I think the word equity is, is used in so many different ways, but when we, when we describe to teachers what we mean in, the, in these terms, they get really excited and they, they, they recognize intellectually that it's important, but practically they have a hard time knowing what to do differently. I, I love the communal aspect of that, thinking of a classroom and a learning setting where it's a community and you use the word connection quite a few times there, the relationships with each other, as well as the connection to the meaning of the actual learning and that it's meaningful to them. So does equity help just a portion of the class, these classroom talk, um, or how does it help the students in a classroom? Yeah, well, equity is not about giving some to some while taking from others. Uh, it, equity orientations provide a net gain for everyone. Um, you know, for my kids who are the higher performers in their school, you know, when they're encouraged to help their peers, to work in small groups, to create a product together rather than just on their own, you know, um, our kids are more privileged and like they have all sorts of supports. The way they're socialized at home is similar to how they're socialized at school. And when, but when they're encouraged to help their, their peers who, whose parent, whose kid, you know, kids whose parents don't have a college education or, you know, don't have all the material supports that, that, you know, other families do, um, they gain something from it too. They develop more social awareness, more empathy, more um, collaboration, right? So um, everyone gains from a classroom that's more connected to, to students' lives and more communal. Um, we talk about 21st century skills, right? But we often talk about those in, in a vacuum, right? In terms of the complexity of classrooms. And we need to think about those 21st century skills in terms of um, real challenges that teachers face. And, you know, our work has focused mostly on Latino kids from low-income communities. And these kids, you know, often socialized to be bien educado um, or well-educated, come with really strong social skills, um, collaboration, um, you know, respect. And this is all the way that, you know, ways that they're socialized in these working-class households. But those skills are often undervalued or not even detected by the teacher because of how classrooms tend to run. And so um, part of having an equitable classroom is to is to acknowledge what students actually bring or to have an asset orientation, not just see what students lack, but see their strengths that you can build on. And that other kids, you know, from upper or middle-class households can benefit from as well. And so an equity orientation is about seeing one another's strengths and supporting one another's needs as well. Brian has given us a good feel for why classroom equity matters, but now let's talk about practical application. In our next segment, Brian gives some great suggestions about how teachers and administrators can actually carry out these ideals in the classroom. Now, you talked about the challenge it is. It is complex work to orchestrate. I love that word you used a discussion, a discourse, classroom talk, because now you have pairs of students or small groups or a whole class. There, there's a lot of voices. What recommendations would you give from your research? I know you've recently been in Hawaii 
actually doing this work with teachers? What have you learned that you can give advice to our classroom teachers? Yeah, it's not just teachers. It's also to administrators, you know, because, um, you know, teachers need support, not criticism, right? And any, any feedback that might be critical should be given by teachers themselves. And so, you know, we learned that in, in the last 10, 15 years, there's been an explosion in, in research on teacher collaboration. Um, and so there's a host of things, you know, in terms of structures, teachers need to be able to have time every week to work in job alike teams, right? So, and I know that, you know, many districts are organized this way, um, but the, the leaders of those teams should be the teachers, right? And so coaches or researchers like me, they're external to the work, right? We can provide support, but it should be led by the teachers themselves. Another one is that in addition to peer facilitation, there should be some inquiry protocols. So teachers have sort of guides to know like what questions they should ask each other in their job alike teams to plan, implement, analyze, uh, reflect on, debrief their lessons and then revise and, and so on. And those improvement cycles need to be teacher-led. One thing that we're learning in Hawaii is that um, the best way to anchor those conversations is through peer observation. And um, schools generally aren't organized to, in terms of their school day to, to, to have time for teachers to observe each other. Um, but it's critical, you know, because especially with classroom conversations, we can talk about our talk but often we don't realize the decisions we make that can be inequitable in our classroom discussions until we see ourselves, right? And so videos can help with that, peer observations, um, observation rubrics that have really explicit indicators grounded in research, but also designed with teachers so that they're recognizable, relevant, and feasible to teachers. Um, but finding time and to developing tools for teachers to learn through observation in their classroom, um, and then feedback from their peers with those observations in an, in an ongoing process of continuous improvement. We call it in the McKay School, simultaneous renewal. Um, that's what it means. It's being able to open up our classrooms so that we can look and know what our common lesson plan was and how did we do and get feedback from each other. And it can be uncomfortable because it's not normative. But if we're going to transform teaching, we have to transform structures and processes for teacher learning. And these are some of the things we're learning that really make a difference. And we know they make a difference, not just because kids are doing better, but we know they're make a, making a difference because teachers smile more. They just enjoy this work because ultimately the reason we go into teaching is to make a difference with kids. And for a teacher to see that her student at the back of the room who, who doesn't tend to participate much who, um, you know, uh, has ideas but doesn't share those ideas and we've tried a hundred ways to include them and it's just not working, to see that that student is now engaged and initiating conversation, that there's nothing more satisfying, more fulfilling for a teacher than that. But knowing how to sustain the implementation over time, given all the demands teachers have, especially in Title I schools, you know, all of these literacy and math uh, programs that are in place, as they should be, can really make it difficult for teachers to know how to find time to have discussions, right? How to, what, what to emphasize, um, how to dig deep with students, how to um, you know, elicit and affirm students' ideas. These are all things they want to do. They just don't have 
the, the support to know how to do them. And um, so anyways, so the recommendations can't just be to teachers. They have to be to uh, the support staff around them as well. I love that. And, and as you talk through that, it's almost as if the teacher teams, uh, the administration of a school, the coaches that were modeling and living exactly what you're hoping to happen in the classroom. That if you want classroom talk and discourse and collaboration, well, the adults need to be collaborating and have structures in place where they're learning together and not working in isolation, but that it's a communal experience for them as well. I love the way you've described that. It, it, it's exciting work. So if a teacher is starting right now, um, that they, they're either a brand new teacher or they just haven't done a lot of classroom talk, um, any advice to that teacher of some of these first steps to be successful? To teachers, I would say, you know, you need to have indicators of what classroom talk looks like, right? So it's not enough to just say it needs to be communal or it needs to be connected. Like that, that's too broad. Like we need to know at, at a very specific detail what these things look like. And so there are, you know, you can, there's uh, accountable talk is a model by uh, Sarah Michaels and Catherine O'Connor. Um, and Lauren Resnick, there are models out there of classroom talk um, that, that really provide specific indicators. That's where I would start with teachers. And then analyze yourself and then, and then try to get your grade level or content area team, if you're in a secondary or middle school, to, to work with each other on those indicators. But without indicators, it's hard to know specifically what to do differently, right? Like we have to move beyond the abstract. These ideas have to rise to the concrete. They should be practical, recognizable, relevant, and feasible, but they, they should also be informed by research, right? Because if you have indicators that are, that are recognizable but aren't really based in a, in a sound sort of body of evidence, then it's hard to understand how that's going to make a difference, right? And so um, try to come up with some indicators based on existing literature, and that's, that's I think, the best way to start. That's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We, in our district, we're focusing a lot on talk and communication and collaboration with the students, especially. And a huge piece seems to be they need something to talk about. And earlier you talked about something that's meaningful to them personally, that they connect with the learning and the content, but also being able to talk with each other. Yeah. You know, um, Diane Ravitch years ago said, there's no equity without excellence and no excellence without equity, right? And so our notion of equitable talk is very explicit about connecting to disciplinary practices because, you know, discourse isn't um, a monolithic or unitary thing. It, it varies by academic content. The way you talk about ideas in math and literature and history and science and art for that matter is different because the organization of knowledge is different in these domains. Now, as usual, the final part of our conversation with Brian is about him and his faith. Brian mentions in his online bio that he is a first-generation college graduate. In our last segment, we asked Brian how his faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ helped guide him in his drive to receive his own education and to bless and help others. Let's rejoin his conversation with Joe Backman. Our listeners enjoy listening and hearing about your background and what brought you into education. Um, how has the gospel of Jesus Christ blessed you and helped you as an educator? 
Yeah, in every way. I'm a first-generation college graduate, and um, you know, navigating and public school from preschool to to PhD. Uh, I did all my graduate school and undergraduate at Arizona State University, and you know, um, and you know, was a decent student in high school and younger, but never excellent. I wouldn't say. Um, but really, uh, the spirit has helped me sort of uh, understand what it means to be um, a disciple uh, as a student and now as a scholar, and to understand that um, you know the work we do first and foremost should benefit others, and I would say especially those who are the least among us. And if our work is not benefiting the least among us, then it makes me wonder who we're really serving. And and so I just feel a gospel imperative that because I have been given much, I too must give. I feel a gospel imperative to follow King Benjamin and to, to give according to needs and according to wants, King Benjamin said. And we need to find a better way to um, provide opportunities for students to, to thrive in school and beyond. And we can't do that if we don't provide opportunities for teachers to thrive, treat teachers the way students want to be treated. And so we have our own institutional challenges in higher ed as well um, that can get in the way of this work. But I feel that in the McKay School, with our moral commitments and the way we're organized um, with the partnership, we can do some really wonderful work that won't just benefit those within our partnership districts, but has the potential to travel, to benefit students and teachers all over the world. Um, we have the resources, we have the, the talent, uh, and I think we're, we just need to sort of revisit our vision with regard to everything that we do and, um, and to ask ourselves, who are we benefiting? Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for your testimony, your example yeah. there. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you for this great conversation. Uh, I have enjoyed the talk, the conversation and felt the connection to something very meaningful and hope that this has really helped our listeners really feel the power of what Classroom Talk can do for them personally, for their students, uh, and really help a lot of students. So thank you for your time today. This has been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Our thanks to Bryant Jensen and Joe Backman for their time today. The Seek Learning Podcast is produced by the BYU Latter-day Saint Educators Society in cooperation with the McKay School of Education. My name is Casey Paul Griffiths, and I serve along with Michael Leonard as the executive producers of the podcast. We also receive assistance from Joe Backman, who you heard today, David Boren, Betsy Ecton, and Heather Safarovich. Editing and production for this and all episodes was carried out by our great students from the McKay School, and our theme and music was composed by Alistair Scheuermann. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard here, help us grow the podcast by subscribing or writing a review wherever you receive your podcasts, or you can give the society a like or comment on Facebook or Instagram. The Latter-day Saint Educator Society also holds an annual conference every June to provide inspiration and information for those of you out there. We hope you'll join us this June, and you can find more information on our webpage. Just Google Seek Learning Podcast. It's been great to be with you, and until next time, this has been Seek Learning.